your turn to be afraid. Are you a fan of things that go bump in the night? Chills up your spine, paralyzed by fright. Thrilled by horror at the center of a chat. Then welcome to the Nerds from the Crypt podcast. Thank you for joining us here on Nerds from the Crypt, the podcast where we review your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies. We also interview your favorite indie creators. Before we start, I want to go ahead and thank everybody for joining us. We are actually now fully on the Spoilerverse Network. So I want to go ahead and thank John Horsley and everybody out in the Spoilerverse Network for allowing us to join a great network of podcasts. And we'll just jump into today's episode. Today, we're going to go ahead and talk to Wells and Dalton from Descent into Dread, an anthology of 12 stories in the horror genre. How are you guys doing today? Doing fantastic. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. First time drink coffee in a long time, so um, I'm feeling really, really um, happy. Jazzed up. <laughs> Jazzed up. There you go. I'm doing my jazz finger, even though you can't see it. Today, we're going to be talking about this anthology. But before we go into it, one thing I like to do with our guests is get a little background. How long have you all been into horror or been writing in the horror genre? Uh, well... I got super into horror probably in college. I was a pretty sensitive kid. I never uh, like spent a lot like uh, I wasn't one of those kids that like their parents let them watch like Silence of the Lambs when I was like three years old or anything like that. That never happened. But, <laughs> uh, and in fact, I pr- remember pretty distinctly uh, screaming and running out of the room during uh, the Brave Little Toaster. Like that's that's the level of horror that I was at when I was young. But I mean, to be honest, Brave Little Toaster is a little messed up movie for Dude, kids. It is. <laughs> it is disturbing to this day. Uh, but yeah, as, as I went into college, I got more and more fascinated with the genre, uh, watching movies like Alien and uh, The Evil Dead, uh, Shining. Uh, I remember my, a friend of mine introduced me to the Babadook and I was like, why has no one, why, why, why was this never on my radar? Uh, so I've, I've been writing horror, uh, for a couple of years now with, uh, I started writing with Dalton, uh, when we started doing, uh, short comics, which is the format we wound up rolling with for this anthology. Uh, but we have a line of horror comics on our website, uh, also titled Descent into Dread that are disconnected horror stories, uh, just from my own experience, it's just whatever I look at and go, no, that's really fucked up about society. Like, what what the hell's going on here? And then I write it down. And if it scares the hell out of me, I we draw it. Uh, that's that's the way we that's the way I write horror anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the best type of horror. Whatever scares you, hopefully it scares other people and it resonates with them. Yeah. But yeah, I, I guess I got really into it and wanted to start writing it when I uh when I watched The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix, that's when I that's when it hit me and I was like, oh, there's so much to do in this genre. <laughs> you know, a lot of people say, say that there's not much that can be written. And, you know, in a certain way, yes, there's a lot of already things out there that have taken up mostly everything that there is to do with horror. But it's not about the situation. It's more about the, I guess, the personal interaction your characters have with the oh, situation yeah. that's going on. No, I, I firmly believe it's better to be innovative. That's what I've, a lot of people um, really get on, on Stephen King's endings. But I, what I've always said, his his stories and his backbone is the situational horror. Uh, how his characters interact or react with the horror that's going on at that moment. Right. Um, and I think that story is is better than sometimes what it how it ends. And people don't get, try to get, don't get that. 
and um, I've always just loved the the middle of it more than anything. Sometimes I'm yeah, I'm sometimes a little upset about the ending, but sometimes um, I'm really really glad the way it ended. Yeah, when King is good, he's good. Uh, even though a lot of it does read like it was an unedited, unproofed document from a 1980s King. <laughs> A lot of his references, you can tell the year that they were written. Yeah. What about you, Dalt? Um, kind of, kind of the same vein as uh, as Wells. I was um a little more vanilla as a kid. Um, I distinctly remember my first big exposure to horror was when I was probably like I don't know twelve, and I watched Alien like in the middle of the afternoon, and I was like I don't see what the big deal is. Um, but then you know. I watched it later at like dead of night and I was like, Oh, that's what's going on. Okay. Um, but that kind of informed where I dipped my toe in, in terms of horror. So like, um, alien, I went straight to predator from there naturally. Um, and then, uh, Halloween was a big, was a big watershed moment for me just because not only was it, um, a well-crafted film, but the, uh, it was genuinely creepy. And I was like, okay, Halloween's great. What's the rest of these Halloween movies like? And then I was like, oh, this is what schlock is. And from and from there, I just like that. That is the kind of horror that I fell in love with um, is that over the top schlocky. Everyone's screaming. Um, and also a lot of the universal monsters from back in the 30s and 40s. I was uh, I watched a ton of those like Wolfman. Frankenstein, Creature from the Black Lagoon. I love all of those films. Um, Probably the first connected universe yes. in cinema. Yeah. Uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Like when I, okay. So as a kid raised on like Batman and Superman and stuff, I, uh, I only thought that existed in comics. And then I was like, wait a minute, are you telling me there is a Wolfman versus Frankenstein movie? That just, that was the best film of all time to me. Not only is there a Wolfman versus Frankenstein movie, there's an Abbott and Costello meets <laughs> Wolfman and the Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. Dude, oh my but he, god. I think those were were three different shorts, weren't they? That they kind of made it into Yeah. They were full into yeah, that was Abbott and Costello. I mean that was a whole different thing, but yeah. No, but, but, but still Abbott quite Abbott fun and, and indicative of the same. Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein is one of the funniest movies I think I've ever seen. It is genuinely great. Um and that that's just not hyperbole. It's genuinely great. Now Meets the Mummy, not as great, but you know. Um <laughs> And meets the Invisible Man. Coming up next. Yeah. Coming up next, Dalton Shannon's Abbott and Costello tier list. Oh my god, those movies funny. Okay, but anyway, um, but no, th- th- those kind of inform just how I digest horror and the way I uh, put it back into the world. Because I-, I like monsters, I like um, screams, and I just like it. I like it over the top. So um, I don't know. That kind of informed when I started writing my shorts um, about when I uh, started working with Wells as well, because I hadn't really ever thought about doing horror. But um, I loved the '70s uh, Steve Gerber Man Thing comics. Um, those had a horror bent mm-hmm. to it, um, and so I kind of started writing in that vein because I wanted to replicate Man Thing and Swamp Thing and all of those great horror characters from the Bronze Age and. Uh, that just kind of that, that's where a lot of the writing is informed from it's just that schlocky over the top crazy fun that horror can be i've went i got into it really young and greg we both we got into it super young and probably why we're we're here now uh, <laughs> doing this this podcast is because we've been we've grown up on horror and um it always it, it always surprises that people they didn't start watching horror until, until a little bit later on mm-hmm. um I just I always just thought people lo- loved it from from little, as they were little kids. <laughs> no, I I ran away from uh oh what was that show? Uh, Are you afraid of the dark? 
Oh god. Oh, yeah. Whenever that came on, my my brother would watch it and I would leave the room. I was terrified. <laughs> I always uh my my aunt had cable. We didn't have cable growing up, so I didn't get a chance to watch that. But whenever we would go visit my aunt on I think was it Saturday night and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I want to go." And we would go there and my cousin would be watching Snick and I'm like, "Yeah, let's just stay a little bit longer so I can watch this show." <laughs> I I did love the Goosebumps show. That was that was more of that schlocky fun that that I loved about horror. That that was a fun show. Doesn't hold up very well today, but it's fun. They rarely do. <laughs> horror and comedy tend to. We're hopefully we'll, later on in this podcast we're going to be doing Goosebumps. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> just this last episode that we that we released was um, us reviewing four episodes of Tales from the Crypt. This is the fourth time we do that. Ooh. Yeah, stay tuned. Well, actually, if you heard this one, you probably already heard that one, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we're going to continue doing those, but we're wanting to do um, Goosebumps, Sorry for the Dark, you know, this anthology series from the 80s and 90s. And Twilight yeah. Zone, baby. Yeah, well, we've done two episodes of the of the reboot. Oh, okay. well, that reboot's good. We want to do Night Gallery as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so what is it you guys uh, are into, let's say, like right now, as far as horror? What what um, what um really interests you? Ooh, hmm, that's a good question. Dalton, you go first. I went first last time. Okay. Um. Oh, stuff that's putting happening. you on the spot. Yeah. That's. Uh. Thanks. So. Um. There's a lot of cool horror comics. Uh. Because I mean, mostly I'm steeped in the comics themselves instead of film. But um, the horror comics. There's um. I keep waiting for Scott Snyder and Jacques to come back with witches. That is what I'm be- dying oh, for. Oh hell yes! They keep saying they're bringing it back. And I need more witches, but they did say, um, actually in October, American Vampire is coming back. And that's one of the, the coolest, um, action horror kind of comics that from, from the last decade was, was really solid. Um, I think there's one that I'm dying to check out. I think it's from James Tynion. Uh, something is killing the children, some sort of murder, uh, mystery horror kind of comic series. Um, oh yeah, I've seen that. That's so good. <laughs> yes, I haven't actually dipped my toe in it, but that is, I'm actually headed to the shop today and I'm going to see if I can grab it. Um, and then, of course, you know, from Halloween, I am, I'm dying for the new Halloween sequels because that, that reboot in oh, 2019 yeah. was phenomenal. And I want Halloween Kills and um, I forget the, the other sequel they said was coming out, but I want those sequels so bad. And COVID has just destroyed everything, but we'll get them. We'll get them. Movies are movies are a little bit sad right now. Yes. Yeah. I was I was definitely gonna bring up Halloween Kills if you didn't, because oh my god, it looks so good. Even though I'm a little bit upset that because I I love the finality of the last Halloween movie, and I was like, <laughs> I would really appreciate if they didn't bring back Michael Myers if that was just the end of it. But it still looks really really good, and I would love to see it. Uh, I have a theory on that that the initial ending was going to be the Doctor taking over for the role of Mike Myers and somewhere down the line, it didn't test well. And um, they decided to just finish it off with Mike Myers dying. Yeah. I think that, I think the doctor was, is universally considered the worst part of that movie. I don't know anyone that likes the doctor in, in that movie. (laughs) Yeah. Like old fans, new fans. Yeah. We did a review on that one. And I, and I I think I brought it up there that I feel like that's where it was going to go. Cause we, all four of us, uh, five of us at that in that review, we were like, um, well, I hope it doesn't go that way. Because we all thought it was that's what they're going to go. Mm-hmm. And I go, I really think that's way that it was written and actually filmed. 
But when they did a, uh, a test test screening, they were like, what the F? And they decided to go back and finish it up, finish it the right way. Yeah. Now, th- thematically, it, it, the, the new ending or the ending that we got makes a lot more sense. And I, yeah. I really like that movie and the way it turned out. Uh, and yeah, as much as I love the internal integrity of things, I do understand the, the need and want for sequels. And realistically, this was a Halloween movie. We're not getting away from sequels. So yeah, yeah. no, I, I, it makes sense. Uh, personally, I've been, uh, I just got done reading a uh, a cosmic horror uh, miniseries called Black Stars Above Vault Comics uh, that I really love. Uh, it's it's not perfect by any means, but I I did really appreciate I I really appreciate well done cosmic horror that doesn't like so much of cosmic horror is literally just like they have to shove Cthulhu in there because understand what they're talking about unless you literally shove an H.P. Lovecraft property in there. It's like no, have an original idea, man. Uh, and th- this one doesn't do that at all. It feels so original, fresh, and has a very like unique setting uh, with a cool main character. Uh, it's 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 set in kind of like. Did you watch the Revenant way back, like a couple years ago, Leo movie? No, oh, it's set good. in. Uh, it's it, it's a pretty good movie. Uh, it's set in like 1800s French Canada uh, in the fur trapping trade. So it's very snowy, very like uh, pioneer uh, type, you know, log cabin type. Uh, situation uh and you feel it it's like stark and cold and and bitter and it works so well uh that and there's some like um i i shudder to call them horror but horror themed stuff that i've been reading uh shows end from mad cave i just got done reading i thought that was pretty good uh it's about a uh a freak show and a little girl who seems to be normal but then is maybe the son of the devil or the daughter of the devil uh and turns into an enormous like horrifying creature uh on not sort of on command uh when she gets angry or hungry uh and uh what else also from vault comics uh what is it creature feature double something cult classic creature feature there we go uh they just got done with their initial run and it's really really solid nice so let's jump into what we came here to talk about today absolutely hell yeah so y'all um, produced Descendant to Dread, in a horror anthology. Uh, this one came out in 2020, right? Just like a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, uh, came out at the very, very end of uh, June 27th, I believe, uh, on Amazon uh, as a physical book. It just, I think it's available to pre-order right now on Comixology, and then it'll be in comic shops uh, sometime around Halloween. So yeah, it's very, a, very a new. Beefy. <laughs> A beefy um, anthology. Oh, thank you. Yeah, never heard anyone describe it as beefy before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have twelve stories. Um, what is it? Almost a hundred pages. Uh, yeah, just everything considered, just over pages, like a hundred and six. Yeah. Gonna put yeah, that that's, on the cover blurb. That's what I like to watch. I'm sorry. I'm gonna put that on the cover blurb. Beefy. Beefy. <laughs> Um, that's what I like to see when when uh, there's sometimes I'll, uh, there's not a property that I know and then it'll be like six seven pages and I'm like nah I don't know about that one uh, but when there's a lot of you know you know content in it I, I I'll be more inclined to pay for it to to to, yeah. to get it because of that yeah we didn't want to produce like a you know. We didn't want to produce like a $15 book and then have people go out and it's like 30 pages. That would have been really, yeah. that wouldn't have felt satisfying for anyone. So let's talk about a couple of the stories here. Please. I'm sorry, go ahead. 
Oh no, I was just going to say, and the the nature of the short stories, since it is there's so much going on in the book itself, we, we didn't want to do one long story that somebody might fall off on halfway through. It, it's like a nice eight pages, you're on to something else. If you didn't like what you read, hey, guess what? There's more coming. And I did feel like one of those old school kind of comics where you're put into position to see what's going on. What I call it this time, a slice of life kind of, kind of mm-hmm. feel where you're coming in on something that's already happening and you leave as it's still happening, you know, yeah, you nice kind of like those old school. I'm sorry. Yeah. You get a like nice, a nice snapshot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Snapshot of horror. <laughs> um, those old school um, horror anthologies did the same, same thing very, very much. Oh, yeah. So let, let's talk about a couple of the, of the um, stories here. Myth of tomorrow. We're actually, I don't know if you want to go eat each one when we talk about this part. Was there any specific uh, inspiration for this particular story or all the stories in in this book? Like, there's no one inspiration uh, for every single story, because uh, we wanted to, to produce as much variety as possible. Uh, so we get everything from cosmic horror, which is very much what uh, Myth of Tomorrow is, to creature features and these weird dystopias, and then uh, there's a couple slashers in there as well. Uh, Myth of Tomorrow uh, was Dalton's idea, and I can tell you it was chiefly inspired by Grant Morrison. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> no, I. Uh, so with, with that one, I wanted like I started with the idea of let's make a comic that traps you, and um, then I was like, okay, how do we trap people? Cosmic horror. That that's how you trap people, and then the tentacles just came from there. Well, yeah. I get- I guess that that works. That works because this actually reminded me of an episode of uh, Star Trek Discovery. I don't know if you all watched that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, dude, Dalton has been on a Star Trek kick for like five years now. So there's so much. I'm pretty sure he's just every every time someone brings up Star Trek in relation to that story, he's like, "You got it. You understood." <laughs> awesome. <Yeah. laughs> With uh, you well, saw that episode, vision. they they brought back the uh, the classic villain. What's his name? Um, Oh, I can't remember his name right now, but the uh, Rain Wilson played him. Um, yeah, I'll be I'll be real. There's so much Star Trek to get through. I haven't actually touched modern Star Trek since I guess Star Trek. Oh, okay. Won. So I don't know a ton of what's going on with like Discovery or Picard or anything. But um, uh, I, I need to get to them. But there's just so much Star Trek. <laughs> All right, so I won't I won't uh, spoil. I won't further spoiler what I already did. <laughs> oh, that is, that is okay. You know what? Honestly, it's going to take me so long to get there. I'll probably have forgotten it anyway, right? But no, it it's pretty much it has the same feeling with, with not necessarily the tentacle, but no, this it's it has the same type of thing. Like you know, you're you're coming up on something, and you kind of feel like you're like something's off, but then it just you just start over again in in the loop. Yeah. The loop's there to trap you. You're you're never supposed to leave. We why did we put that at the first story? Now now people are just going to move right on. Because it starts with a man screaming at you to stop reading it, and we thought that that was probably the best way to start the anthology. Yeah. <laughs> was to just warn people up front, get out. Yeah, you know, the best way to tell people to read the book is to have a guy tell you not to. Read. That's that's strong. That's strong. <laughs> well, many of the great movies or great um, books start off with "Don't read this. Don't." watch this film don't do this and then of course because we're um we're idiots we always end up watching the 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 video or whatever it is well it's usually worth it yes of course yeah (laughs) and to and when uh when dalton presented me with this idea and uh and we started editing it my 
thought went to uh, John Dies at the End, which is a very meta book and very weird in a lot of ways. But the back blurb book literally starts with the phrase like, no, stop, put this down. It's too late. You have to read it now. They know. They know that you know. <laughs> and you're just like, okay, I guess I'm reading this. <laughs> Anything you guys want to add about this particular story? I enjoyed it and actually hope that you all come back to it. And we get more from from this particular story. Uh, I, I, yeah, Dalton has a a uh, a broader universe plan for the things going on in that story. I know, so I know it's not the last we see of that character. Crisis for sure. Theoretically, yeah, Crisis for sure will make a comeback. I don't. I I, I think Dawn's story is probably finished, unless you know you just look at that loop forever. But uh, Crisis itself, uh, I've got plans for Crisis. I I imagine that Dawn shows up in a bar somewhere, and it's it, he's he's barely acknowledged, but someone <laughs> just comes up to him, like, "Hey, how are you doing, man?" He's like, "I've seen some things." <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a, a, its own little connected universe. Yeah, no, exactly. everything's. Uh, yeah, that that I was I was really uh, stoked. My uh, my fiance is finally reading it. You know, because that's the kind of relationship we have. I can work on this for a year and a half. And she's like, "Hey, should I read this?" Like, yeah, probably. My wife, uh, but she's reading it, and she was like, "I love how each story flows into the next. Like, it feels like one big story, even though they're all like distinct and separate." And I was like, "I could cry right now. This is the sweetest thing I've ever heard in my life." <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, that little snapshot or slice of life, like I said, of of horror. It um. It lends itself to be able to go from one story to the next without feeling abrupt, without um, even even the style of story or the artwork. It it doesn't it doesn't get a, what's called uh, intrusive with one story to the next, and because of that and the way it's written, it, you don't feel like it just all of a sudden just ends and then like well, but I mean yeah, you want to know what happened, but you know that's you're just going on to the next story and i don't feel like a lot of people can can do that oh well thank you it takes deliberate pacing to make sure it doesn't feel like you're getting cheated at the end where you move on to a new one so let's say like like in the next one um a wash we're gonna talk about a wash that one it it didn't feel like you're ending the story you it ends right where it needs to end for this for this anthology. It takes me because I've seen so much horror, much more horror anthology. It does remind me a lot of the things, but it's some it's still something new. And I really like the way it ended. And once again, I want to see more of these these creatures. I don't I don't want to give away too much, and that's 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 what it is hard sometimes talking about these things. I don't want to be a spoiler to anybody that wants to. Oh, no, that's that's totally fine. Yes. We can, uh, so, so, Awash is the story of a man who has been trapped underwater for three years uh, using a self-perpetuating uh, scuba suit that he invented, uh, and he stumbles upon a shipwreck. He stumbles upon several shipwrecks, and uh, due to his own internal curiosity, wants to investigate uh, partially out of boredom and partially out of uh, a, a scientific imperative to further his own research. And mm -hmm. there he finds a creature he was not expecting. There you go. Uh, but yeah, no, it's that that story was particularly crafted uh, because we knew that there was a lot more surrounding it. Uh, those characters that show up at the end, James and uh, and Grace, uh there are two characters that seem to show up out of nowhere. It makes sense in the context of the story. Just go read it. Promise. Uh, they have much bigger roles in the story we have in mind for that particular character. Uh, and we we really want to revisit that world uh, sooner rather than later. That's uh, That was actually the first 
so that was one of the last stories that we wrote for the anthology but in terms of the world in terms of like where that is and the characters that's something that dalton and i have been working on for the last like five years yeah it's very much intended as a back pilot if not all of them a good a good amount and especially the ones where, where it leaves you wanting to get more of those people they can all be probably fleshed out yes and that's what we would yeah that love was very to- much the intention we just wanted to throw a bunch of stuff at the wall see what people liked and be like great we've got a story about that <laughs> we've got a series we can do based on that. nice i mean the artwork and like i said a little bit more the artwork can change from from story to story um how did y'all decide or how did you all come up with the list or compile the list of artists for this book <laughs> We trolled Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> Honestly, that was because we have, you know, at this point, still, basically, we have no name in this industry. Uh, we're, you know, just working from the bottom as much as we can. So it's not like we could tap Becky Cloonan on the shoulder and be like, hey, want to draw a thing for us? Uh, we try. We just, uh, <laughs> we just uh, went all across Twitter and Instagram and if there was an artist that we thought, wow, that's incredible. I would love to see that on this story, or I would just love to see that in the book. Then we would message them, see what you know their availability was, uh, see like if, if they were within our price range. And uh, quite a few of them wound up being super flexible and willing to work with us, uh, including a couple that, uh, knowing what I know now, are way out of our league and should never have anything to do with this book. Like... <laughs> There's a guy that is currently drawing uh, Undiscovered Country uh, who's who's in this book, which is an image comic uh, property written by Scott Snyder. Like, <laughs> well, that's the great thing about some of these artists that that they're willing to to lend a hand to to a comic that no one's heard of yet. And I've actually had people on on the podcast that say that they have artists working for them that or did work for them that are working for like Boom for Dynamite. Um, yeah. I've done stuff for DC and Marvel. Yeah, it's wild. Um, it's so it's so nice to to see how gracious so many of the the artists were who wanted to who agreed to work with us. Like, the, there's such a, a swath of talent. A lot of people here. This is their first comics work, period. And it it's just they were so great to work with. And most of what you, I think, most of what you love about this anthology comes from just how well their art executes the idea because i mean there's there's no story here without the art and i just so many thanks to the the great artists who are involved here like they're great i can't say enough about yeah we we intentionally like did really fleshed out bio pages in the back of the book and included like every place that you can follow them and look at them on social media and look at their work uh just in the hopes that like they would get a little bit more attention for having uh contributed because they deserve it they do Oh no! Yes, yes. Uh, I would like. To, I don't think there's one piece of like one style that takes you away from what what you're reading. I've had that issue before, where the style of the of the artist doesn't really go with the story, and it kind of takes me out, and I can't really focus on what's going on. Yeah, we were really careful about where we assigned each artist, and and like, and a lot of it was just presenting them with a couple of options and saying, "Hey, what are you most comfortable?" Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was sort of the advantage of having that broad spectrum of uh, of stories to pull from is we could go to like Mia Streetsy who draws the flytrap and who has, in my opinion, the weirdest and most far out art style in the uh, unique in the book. Yeah. And we gave her like we gave her like three options and she was like, I, I, I dig this this story about the uh, 
you know, the man eaters, <laughs> literal man eaters. <laughs> and and she, did a, she knocked it out of the park. She did a great job of it. So anything that anything specific about um, a wash that we want to go ahead and make sure to, to talk about on the podcast? Uh, Serge Acuna is, is incredibly talented. He's a Costa Rican oh, artist. Uh, he's uh done work on buffy on firefly uh on wwe uh and if i had to pick one that's like look at this one for the art definitely it's a wash uh Mm -hmm. but i love that story i love that atmosphere that environment there's there's not enough media set underwater and it's just (laughs) a really cool visual whenever you get to to go down there and i don't know it it that it should be mined a lot more. I don't know why it's not. It can very easily, uh, based on who draws it, be mistaken for space. Yes. But the way that it's drawn, you can tell it's it's underwater. And I was going to say that this is probably the most detailed, most, um, I guess, polished looking looking um, story of them all. That just goes out to, you know, how excellent of an artist uh, Serge is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was probably the probably the fastest to be actually drawn despite how incredibly detailed it is. It's probably the most detailed in terms of like how it's drawn and it's the, just the stylistic, the, the, the subtle crotch cross hatching that you do see Mm -hmm. uh, the tone that we get out of it is just incredible. Uh, And he was super professional about it the entire time. Like he was really, (laughs) as as soon as we worked out, like, okay, here's, here's what we're doing. He uh, immediately got to work uh came back at us took edits like a champion uh we were extremely excited to see uh that story come to life and in that particular yeah. did you all have a specific request as far as the way the monster is going to look or did you let him take take off on <laughs> uh, i mean it was it was like 50 50 uh like i i said so this is a a creature that is typically drawn in a very like sort of alluring way and I just straight up told him I want it to look horrible. I want it to look, I want it to look like if you saw this, you would it like like it came out of the deep ocean. You know, if you've ever seen like a viper fish or an angler fish, they look. Horrible. That's what I was thinking about anglers. Yeah, they just look awful, and I wanted to reflect that kind of just inherent horror that comes from that particular like biome in the world that exists in the world in the same world that we live in. Yeah, I mean. In all honesty, this is something that might be down there. We just never seen it. <laughs> yeah, I hope Which I never see. I, it. Again, is again is why like this setting is so great. Like you can just you you never like this could happen. We know so little about the deep ocean. Like why not mm. do anything? And it's somewhat Which is, plausible. Which uh, right now in our current years, probably we shouldn't be messing with the deep ocean right now. <laughs> yeah, probably not. No. We can barely handle up on Earth. Let's just <laughs> let's just just figure our shit out here, and then we'll eventually get down there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the next story we're going to be talking about: uh, Dreams of the Drowned. I very much earlier in the episode you said that one of your early um, either inspirations or things that you read when it was um, a certain comic, and I won't say it again. But I feel like this one's inspired by that. Oh uh, yes, definitely. Um, so. Yeah, like I, I there's no that. spoilers here it's it's super swamp thing <laughs> yeah, no, it's very much inspired by that 1970s steve gerber man thing run um i just fell in love with all that like 20 odd issues long i just fell in love with it because it, you know the philosophical muck monster is 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 a great trope but i uh wanted to do something in that vein but uh i realized that i didn't have the patience to do like a long form story about a philosophical muck monster so i wanted to distill it into a pure 
eight pages of um, what I loved about it. And uh, then I threw in a nice hipster metal band and it all came together great. A hipster metal band that I don't, and I don't know if this is the intent or not. I didn't mind going, <laughs> going the way it went. <laughs> yeah, <with them. laughs> that was the intent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, are some, there are some horror stories where you just want to see the, the monster win. And this this might be one of them. Yeah, and that's what I liked about Tales of the Crypt. Is mm-hmm. that the people you see, they're not usually the people that you're like, oh man, why did that person have to die? It's usually people yeah. I'm like, yeah, they deserve it. Yes, like, that, that's some of the most fun of like flashers, Halloween, Friday the 13th. You just want to see mm-hmm. Freddy and Jason and Michael. You just want to see him go to town. And uh, it's 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 movies like Alien where you're rooting for uh, Sigourney Weaver. But it's it's movies like Halloween where you're Michael. If you do more of, of this my what is it called malignant muck the malignant muck yeah yeah um is it going to be more short stories like this or would you flesh it out even more um i think in the same vein as um crisis from uh myth of tomorrow where Mm -hmm. i've definitely i definitely have ideas for the muck should he come back um but it'd probably be more in a, a short story format because, like I said, I don't know if I have the patience for like those prosaic captions about the nature of man and and all of that stuff. <laughs> like it's it's cool. To, I, I do. Yeah, well done. <laughs> I I much rather talk about jokes and stuff. But um, it's I I love the idea of the swamp monster, and I would I definitely want to revisit the muck himself. But it'll probably be more in like supporting roles or uh, short stories um, rather than. Mm-hmm ongoing because the the only thing that um that comics have proven in the 100 years that we've had them is that swamp monsters don't sell unless they're punching other monsters <laughs> that's true <laughs> that's a little bit true <laughs> well there is some stories that are more adapt or adapt to just being short story they're they're that's what they, they that's how they work mm-hmm. and this is probably one of those mm-hmm. that I, I would would rather see it Again, but more in in the short story form. The awash that's something that I might be more we've interested whole, in doing. We've got a whole graphic novel set in that universe, so nice. don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> that that's coming back. I want to jump to probably one of my m- more favorite ones, uh, rubbing elbows, because Greg Greg wasn't able to come in and the he, his computer didn't let him <laughs> log in. But yeah, that's sad. We love people monsters. Yeah, people monsters is like our jam. This is this is that's our favorite thing, and this is quite possibly the most people monsters thing you can have in this book. Yeah, this was this was one of those stories that uh, we took a look at what we had. the The anthology was mostly done at that point. And it was partially the uh, publisher telling us, hey, you, we need a little bit more here. Like, we need to get to 100 pages at least. Uh, and partially us just looking at it and being like, what's missing out of out of this anthology? And pretty much at the same time, we, we both said, we don't have a slasher. Uh, and so we went away separately. Uh, and within, it was the same day, it was like within two hours, uh, I had written the script for uh, Rubbing Elbows and Dalton had written the script for The Final Scream, mm-hmm. uh, which are the, the two slashers in the, that wound up in the anthology. Uh, and immediately we were just like, these are hits. These are going to be good. Because <laughs> uh. this one, I don't know if it leaves you open for a sequel, but it does leave you like wanting to know more about this organization. Right. Uh, 
the yeah the whole impetus behind rubbing elbows just the idea that corporate america is sort of a hellhole and mm-hmm. we're all sort of we like even though we know it's awful and and rigged and that we're being exploited by it we all have to play the game anyway uh even though a lot of times they don't see us as being human uh which was sort of where yeah the idea of where rubbing elbows came from it was literally uh you know, this company is downsizing. What if, you know, literally. in doing that, they have a little bit of fun and literally downsize? Uh, but yeah, and and in that, we follow uh, one character who's kind of in where we would be, uh, that very, like, entry-level, uh, just waiting through the muck kind of position, hoping to get a leg up, hoping to get the promotion, uh, but ultimately, the higher-ups couldn't care less about her, and uh, we see that. They they literally couldn't care less about her. They they want to murder her, uh, just for just because. Meh. Why not? It's fun. They they treat it like a like it's a you know a company retreat, a golf game or something mm-hmm. uh, that they can all blow off some steam. Uh, and I wanted to explore that dynamic of just like people being disposable to uh to people to the have-nots being disposed who have stuff. Uh, which you know when I wrote it was topical and feels even more so now. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of reminds me of another story that um, we had a, about a year and a half ago now. We had him on the podcast and he did a story called SCOTUS and that was Serial Killer of the United States. Oh no. It pretty much talked about a serial killer that ended up getting making it or making it into the into the White House. That's so pretty you, fun. That's pretty the day, fun. Well, we joked around the time that, that that episode probably put us on some list that we didn't want to be on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, it's a good story. Thank you. Yeah. Kath Lobo draws that she's absolutely fantastic. I like, I know in my heart that she is going to wind up, uh, drawing like Captain Marvel or, or Spider Gwen or something really, really big. Uh, she's really, really fantastic. Uh, you will definitely see her name pop up if you like pay attention to comics. Uh, she, she's a rising star for sure. And again, super professional. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> any more backstory we um, want to talk about on this uh, do you have any thoughts Dal? um no it's just a really pretty story and uh even though the stuff happening in it isn't very pretty and i i dig it a lot it, it's rubbing elbows i found actually um since it was so um set in that real world i was uh i was kind of surprised it's become like the sleeper hit of the book i'm surprised by just how many people are saying that rubbing elbows is one of their favorite stories and i'm like that's awesome because it was one i wasn't expecting to be so uh popular and so that was it's really cool to see well it's like well said we can put ourselves in the same position where we're especially anybody who's worked in a cubicle uh kind of area at any Mm -hmm. point in their life they can remember what it felt like being there day in day out right yeah no it, it really has staying power and that's fantastic yeah this isn't one that i see us like I don't see us going back to like you know see where the company is or where Laura mm-hmm. is or anything like that, but uh, I I'm really glad we got to explore it in its current form. It very much is like I said before. It's one of those that it it can stay contained in its short story, and you can get fans of it. It doesn't leave it open for a sequel. If anything you wanted, you can backdoor something into it. But right. if we don't get anything from it either, this story itself it it, it just leaves you like content with what what, what you got. If, mm-hmm. um, if you get more of you, it's great. If not, the story is, is great on its own. Hell yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I asked Greg to to um, send me his thoughts on this. Some of the things we already talked about. One of the stories we we didn't talk about talking, but he wanted to know is in between some of these stories, we have an ongoing kind of little story or set of short um, with the Frankenstein uh, monster kind of. Uh, what is it? The um, what Frankenstein the Unconquered. But yes. Um, was that intentional to make it a like ongoing story? Did it work out that way? Um, how yeah. how did that come about? Yeah. Um, Frankenstein was very intentionally um, its own thing. Um, I just wanted to see Frankenstein with a broadsword killing other monsters. So we were like, let's let's do, <laughs> let's do Frankenstein meets Conan the Barbarian, and um, I very much intentionally wrote it as a um, a series of vignettes. That way, you can you don't have to have like because Frankenstein's too big for one story, honestly. So, mm-hmm. but instead of having like this lengthy ongoing narrative where you follow his life, you just get these little nice snapshots of what's going on in his world. Um, and so you get to go as incredibly over the top as you want. You can have him ride a winged mastodon or fight the Phantom of the Opera in the Statue of Liberty. You can do all of these crazy things with the character and none of it feels out of place because it's Frankenstein's monster with a broadsword. So it was very much, I mean, honestly, Frankenstein uh, on our own website where we do um, our own shorts, we have a whole swath of shorts, like all ages, science fiction. Frankenstein is his own series over there. And when we uh, and when we were putting together the Descent into Dread anthology, um, we thought it'd be nice to have some sort of um, meat underneath the rest of the the bones of the anthology. Not not to sell any other story short, because um, they're all meaty stories. They're beefy, like you said. Um, but Frankenstein has this nice through line, um, and it, uh, it it has that connective tissue that you want in an anthology. That that kind of not crypt keeper in a way, but. Um, just something that you can keep coming back to and get a nice taste of everything. Connective tissue. Like, like we, we didn't have the same advantage as something like uh, Hotel with two L's, uh, which is a, a, a pretty uh, good uh, anthology. I forget the publisher right now, but by John Lees. Uh, and the, the shtick of it is all of these horrific things are happening on the same night in the same hotel in different rooms. Uh, we didn't have any kind of framing device like that, so we felt it was important to give people something to kind of, uh, you know, like an update every now and then. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, we're going to have a couple stories, and then we're going back to Frank to see what he's doing. And then, uh, you know, uh, it gives people something to look forward to. Uh, even So even if you're not, like, super into, like, theoretically, if you're just, like, if you see an artist that you're just like, eh, I'm not into the style, or a story that's not connecting with you, you're like, well, I know down the line, you know, uh, Frank is gonna rip someone's face off, so I can definitely stick around for that. Uh, it was also, like, we wanted to tap into that, uh, that sort of, uh, thing in horror where it's, you've completely blown past trying to scare people, and you're just putting as much over-the-top action and and brutality on screen as possible uh so like terminator one is a great horror movie (laughs) where everything is really scary and then terminator two completely throws that out the window in favor of how awesome can we make this yeah yeah and that's that's sort of where we wanted to tap into with uh okay i can see yeah (laughs) i really did enjoy uh each time i came back to to the frankenstein that's good that that, well that was the goal so we're happy we're happy that it worked i think the most surprising thing Dalton and I have found, especially talking to people about it, uh, especially talking on podcasts. So, you know, no one has a uh, 
an obligation to be nice to us. Uh, every time we do that, it, they're like, this thing that you intended to happen actually worked. And we're like, oh, wow, that's surprising. <laughs> I'm going to be like um, Howard Stern and just throw batshit crazy things at you. <laughs> Please. Please. You know what? Be mean. What was your least favorite? What did you hate about it? <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the stories that we didn't agree to talk about was actually one of my favorite like twist surprise endings. And I'll tell you a little bit later which one that was. Okay. Uh, I can I can guess right now. Was it uh, was it territorial imperative? Yes. <laughs> okay. Figured. Figured. Uh, I, I I don't know. I started cracking up when I saw what it was, and I'm like, oh, that I want to see more of this <laughs> again. That was. My my as I was writing it, my goal was like, and on this on this exact panel, I want the reader to go, wait, what the fuck? And laugh. <laughs> and then if they can if we can get it so that they can turn the page, turn the page and go, Oh my god, that is violent. Holy shit. <laughs> no, it it worked. What's great, what's great is so, you don't have to turn the page though, because you know you could get a, a little worried that um, you see the um, what the monster is, and you have people go, "That's stupid," and close the book. But because of how the pages turned out, you don't have to flip the page. You can just turn your eyes just a little bit and see what happens with it, and be like, "Okay, I'm here for it. I'm here." <laughs> I like page turns personally. Oh, no, I, I love when I love when you turn the page and it's like. It's not a jump scare. It's just like, oh, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, the, the heartbeat of comics. Um, but sometimes, sometimes it's good to have them right next door. Sometimes. Yeah. Like any any other story might have just ended there, just showing it, and yeah. then just leave you like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> but then you all continued and and um, just went for it. Oh yeah. No, that was that was a story. Uh, it's. For 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 the readers or for the listeners who haven't read it yet, it's uh it's about a group of lumberjacks that gets viciously torn apart by a mysterious uh creature in the jungle, and two insurance agents have to figure out what the hell happened. Uh, that's the entire setup, and it's just a mystery based on that. Uh, and you, you do find out what the creature is, which is what we've been alluding to, and it's not what you think it is. I don't even want to give hints yeah. to what it is because I want um, people to be able to see. That, <laughs> that was. I mean, and I was that, not expecting like, it. <laughs> yeah, and nestled in that story is like, hey, here's a here's a fun little like conservationist message, but uh, but more than anything, I just wanted people to walk away from that going, oh, okay, wow, that was awesome. Okay, <laughs> cool. I, I think it, it resonates with me more because also because I'm a timber framer. Oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah. I work with 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 timbers and all that. What we source it uh, ethically. <laughs> Good. Yeah, good. Um, but yeah, I think I was like, oh, oh, oh wow. This is about me. <laughs> Coming for you. Well, and the like the the creature isn't, you know, it's not the fault of the lumberjacks that no. the creature, you know, is is doing this. It's ultimately the fault of again, a, the, that running thread with uh yeah, with rubbing uh, rubbing elbows like these soulless big companies that are just like, I don't give a shit. Just cut down the rainforest. I don't care. <laughs> I, w- I want to burn and, and like, I want to cut all this down. I want to burn it. I want to, I want to make paper and Ikea furniture. And that, that, that's the most ideal way I can see this rainforest. Uh, and that's sort of, you know, that's the impetus behind a lot of the stories is, is the real monster is not the monster. Uh, some of them for sure. The monster is the monster, but, uh, 
That's... But I always that's that's what I loved about you know Alien and mm-hmm. uh, these ideas of yeah the monster or like any Guillermo del Toro especially is like yeah the monster can be scary but the monster isn't the monster the the monster is you know the very human person that wants you know that does horrible things just for the sake of it for their own gain. Mm-hmm. Well, the monster can be deadly and horrible, but they also can be beautiful, like in Guillermo del Toro's uh, stuff. That as well. Yeah, <laughs> I can't believe I I can't believe I didn't mention Guillermo del Toro. Now that I think about it, when you asked about horror, because like that was one of the first big draws when you know Pan's Labyrinth. I wouldn't call it a horror movie, but it was one of the first things even approaching that genre that I I poked my head into, and I was like, oh, this is brilliant. This is amazing. See, knowing what, uh, knowing that, Wells, I'm a little disappointed we don't have giant robots punching the monsters in the face. <laughs> hey, we'll get there. All right, that, that might. We were before we started recording. Dalton and I were literally talking about uh, a, a a pitch that we maybe want to make to uh, to a couple different uh, publishers that is about. Uh, <laughs> that is at its heart a giant mech store, but with a twist. With giant monsters. Giant monsters. Regulars. <laughs> Um, we have the fly trap. Yes. I want to ask, did you all ask specifically for this art style or was it the artist that, that does this type of art style? That was it all, was yeah. Mia Streetsy. That was her. That's, mm-hmm. she has this very unique, uh, I, I call it, uh, watercolor heart or, uh, mm-hmm. not watercolor nightmare fuel, uh, where everyone just looks sort of wrong, but it works in a weird way. <laughs> Like a dream? Yeah, it's it's very sort of dreamlike and ethereal, uh, but in a very unsettling way. Uh, and I, as soon as I saw her art style, I knew I wanted her in the book, but I actually, we took a long time to figure out what story would be best for her. And at the end of the day, we felt like Flytrap was probably the best. And I'm I'm really happy with how it turned out. Oh, man. like I like it, this one. Go ahead. No, uh, I was, so we had been getting pages in from our other artists on the book, like from uh, from Leonardo and um antonio um and they have that nice that comic booky style for like frankenstein and stuff and so i was like okay this mm-hmm. is how it looks gonna look and then we get mia's pages and yeah. I, I just stared at them for like 10 minutes straight just looking at it and i i i couldn't quite wrap my head around it the first time i saw it and i was like what am i staring at but oh my god it it's such a unique flavor for the book it's such a i feel necessary flavor for the book it's just it's so out there it's so wild and yet it it works for the story it's telling it's not confusing it's not it, it's beautiful to look at and man i i cannot talk about mia enough she is i love her art her yeah. her twitter is super entertaining as well uh. <laughs> there's um a book called junior braves of the apocalypse which is actually co um written by by greg my co-host oh nice and his there's two issues right now out by Omni Press, and the way that their color it's actually more black and whitish, but it has that um, blue or green watercolor background to it. So very reminiscent to that to me, uh, except that this is black and white, but it looks very very much like that. Mm-hmm. And I like this one because it actually turns the whole trope of going out to party. And what you normally would think would be happening with the guy girl dynamic um, in a in a club. Yeah, I when I set out to write this story, it was uh, I, as as most of them, it was it was born out of frustration of just I kept seeing you know uh, my friends getting harassed and like it in general the flavor of of where we you know live is uh, has sort of a dismissive attitude toward uh, 
kind of the the everyday harassment that women go through. Uh, and so when I when I sat down to write the story, I was like, I I just want a story where if a dude reads it, he go he either says he's either incredibly uncomfortable by it or he says, oh okay, I get it. Uh, and then if a woman reads it, she goes, yup, that's what it's like. <laughs> Uh, and I, I feel like we accomplished that. I hope we did. Uh, but yeah, the entire draw is that, uh, I like what would make a dude, how could you replicate the feeling of like just a dude, uh, going out on the town or a woman going out on the town and just having eyes all over her that she doesn't want and literally fearing like that she might be attacked. And I was like, the only way I could see it happening for dudes is if like, the threat was that they were going to be eaten alive. Uh, and then we just kind of spun off of that. No, and even the the reveal of what it is. I mean, it kind of gives it away with the name. Yeah, but... it, was, it wasn't supposed to be subtle. That was like, yeah. that's sort of the point is like, can you imagine, and, and, and if you're a woman, the answer is yes, but can you imagine this kind of culture being so rampant that you're perfectly comfortable like naming an establishment after is it would be like naming a bar date like it's just not it's it's just tasteless but everyone yeah, yeah. just rolls with it and accepts it like, like it's no big that's deal. the we're, we're uh we're so i guess used to it that it would just like yeah whatever yeah exactly also subtleties for cowards that's you don't really have <laughs> you don't have time for subtlety in eight pages you just no. don't so <laughs> go out and just rub people's nose <laughs> the best thing to do <laughs> uh the final story we're going to be talking about today is chasing the sun yeah what can you tell me about uh a little bit of background about this story uh i have been toying around with this idea f- since right after i got out of college uh 2015 uh or in one version or another and just uh sort of this sci-fi world where uh people where this this nation is literally trying to chase the sun to capture it uh and and the idea that you know this world can be technologically advanced but so regressive in its ideas uh and then that sort of smashed together with the current political situation in the united states of people who are just of people who who say something that is such a inherently bad idea that anyone could look at it and go that will never ever work but everyone around that person is not I wouldn't even say it's like cowardice. It's just like they're looking out for themselves and their own futures and their own like political well-being and saying, I don't want to contradict that because one day, you know, I might be in that position and I don't want people to openly contradict me. So they just roll with it despite how stupid it is and how damaging it is. And so, yeah, this the it's a story where the leader of this nation uh, brings his entire army to march westward and chase the sun uh, based off of the recommendation of one of his uh, of one of his officers who was doing it. who was saying that in a metaphorical sense, like, hey, we should we should like pursue solar power. But he's such a megalomaniac. He's like, no, I want the sun under my control. I want to capture it. Mm-hmm. Uh and it leads them entirely to ruin. And by the time anyone does anything about it, it's, I won't, you know, spoil how it ends, but it's too late. And it sort of ruins not only, it's it's not only damaging to like the nation, but also to the individual people who are around him saying, I can benefit off of this if I just keep my mouth shut, if I just follow orders, eventually I will come out on top. And they don't, which I felt like was important to me to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is not going to end well for anyone including you it uh it's probably one of the more, more story uh what's it called the stories that took me a while to get under or to understand what was going on the the whole time i was like 
what is what's this story trying to tell me or so what is it trying to do and i, well, I got to the end i'm like oh okay okay <laughs> but no it um it's drawn it looks it looks beautiful um mm, i like the mary, I like the character yeah no mary landro uh is gonna draw batman one day like <laughs> i know it um she she has such striking characters uh with this beautiful cross hatching and and such a fine level of detail that like and she's like 19 like she's so young oh wow and and i when i when when i approached her to do it i assumed that she had been doing comics for a while she i i say repeatedly that everyone professional but she was like on top of it she knew her rate she was uncompromising in that which is good uh she uh the, just the way she handled herself, I thought she was a comics industry veteran, and then it turns out this is her first comic that she's ever been a part of. And I'm just like, dude, how? How, <laughs> how are you this good? That's not fair. <laughs> well, that's when you know when someone's going to go far, because they already know yeah. what their work is worth. Absolutely. No, she's going to go places. Uh, no, nah, I don't so have how long to did it that. take? Go I'm sorry. <laughs> go, how go long on. did it take from beginning to, to end to put everything together? <laughs> Longer than we expected. It's always the case. No, I'm sorry, Dolphin. You're, you're it's always the game, out. Right? It's always longer than you expect. Um, oh yeah, yeah. We we started in uh, was it February, January, like late January, early February of 2019, and uh, we finished the book. Everything was edited, ready to send to the publisher, uh, on its way to Amazon in early June of this year. Oh, okay. So it took about a year and a half to get everything together. We very foolishly thought that by working with multiple artists, we would be able to find everyone quickly, have them all work on the stories at the same time, and then get it all done in a matter of months, in like three or four months, because everyone would be working on, you know, everyone would be working on eight pages at the same time. So yeah, that should Mm -hmm. work. Uh, But the process is a little bit more complicated than that, we found out. And uh, and frankly, and this is no disrespect to the artists, but uh, trying to get everyone on the same schedule in this you know industry is like herding cats. It's very very difficult mm-hmm. to get everyone kind of on the same page uh, all the time. Plus, there were I mean there were some artists that we were initially working with that didn't follow th- or that weren't able to follow through, and we had to replace them later. Uh, there were people that we just didn't find for a long, long time. We just couldn't find an, uh, an artist that we felt like went with the story. Uh, and so that, that delayed the process by quite a bit, but yeah, uh, yeah all things, well, all things said, go ahead. A year and a half is actually pretty, pretty good. I've actually seen um, some projects take about two years for a single 30 page issue or 20 page issue. So a year and a half, that seems about, uh, that seems pretty fast to me. <laughs> right. I've seen. Mm-hmm. We were the the advantage that we came into it uh, with is that uh, both of us work really well together as writers. Uh, we we have been working uh, since we were in college uh, on stories. We've been bouncing ideas off of each other for a long time, and we know uh, we know where each other's strengths and weaknesses lie. And as it happens, we are very good at filling out those strengths and weaknesses. So by the time all the scripts were written, there wasn't a lot to be done with them it's not like we had them we didn't have any artists like draw uh you know three quarters of the story and then realize that it wasn't working that never happened uh so that was sort of the advantage that we went into with this was that the there was very little editing that needed to be done once we actually got rolling with the artists 
it was just finding the artists and getting them, you know, getting everything in on time. That was a little rough. Do you think part of that was the whole process of actually talking to them about what story they thought would fit their style? Oh, certainly. Yeah, certainly. Um, and it's not like we, we gave them every single script and had them read it over and figure it out. But like just figuring out what they were comfortable with and the kinds of stories that they had written or they had drawn before and uh, and and just our own gut feelings looking at their story or looking at their art style and, and being like this, you know, uh, looking at someone like Slate uh, has this very sparse indie aesthetic. Uh, it's not super emotive, but it is uh, super evocative in a lot of ways. Uh, and we were like, this feels like it would be good for the final scream. And it turned out that was right up his alley. He loves slashers. So are they love slashers? I, I have <laughs> I have no I, I have no about Slate to this day. I have asked I have I've poked around so much just to see I'm like, so <laughs> where are you from? <laughs> yeah, all we know about they're like, well, the back of the book. Yeah, no, he, he gave us or they gave us uh, uh, two sentences. And, and part of it is like, loves to play world it's like it's so it's so very narrow i love that mystique though that like he has or they have one name they have no personal information given they have they like their portrait is a drawing i know they're from the philippines that's it that's all <laughs> uh we didn't talk about that once but for a little bit uh the, what's it, what's called the final scream mm-hmm. yeah the final scream the uh, never-ending slasher was the other <laughs> was the other yeah, title yeah. for it the uh a very jason-esque to me but um that added a little what's it called caveat of how to how to kill him or her whatever it would might be yeah just just um i think that adds to it and i don't want to give it away what it is but i think that gives it a little bit more of a story to work on rather than just being the slash yeah. oh yeah i um i specifically wanted to write a slasher that never ends because at the end of every halloween i'm like that's it i want more like give give me more and so uh, it's it's intrinsically designed to be like a chapter in a slasher that just goes on forever and ever and ever and, and you have a reason why it keeps happening yeah mm-hmm. it's not just it's not just oh hey uh jason's back again let's let's do friday the 13th 23 but like there's an intrinsic connect connective tissue between each piece like it's one long story rather than a series of reboots and that that's that was what really drew me to that the thing i love about that story is that the final girl is such a dick yeah. like <laughs> like she's been through like the final girl is traditionally like the one we empathize with and and the pure one and like the the one that we are like rooting for and we can't see possibly failing and casey has been doing this for like uh, for what a hundred years she's been battling with david and he's killed her and she's killed him and she's just so jaded to it she doesn't care anymore it's like an everyday thing yeah it's just like uh whatever and they're like casey people died and she's like yeah it was like two people they all it's fine (laughs) they knew what they were signing up for Greg wanted me to point it out that he really enjoyed the cover to this. Oh, yeah. Walter, uh, Walter Ostley did that cover. Uh, and <laughs> it was it was cool because the first cover he did was super subtle. Like it was it was the same backdrop with the trees and like the, the creatures were a lot smaller and you could barely see them. But it just it had this really eerie feeling to it. And we loved that cover. Uh, but then the publisher rightly was like, uh, we need something that pops out a little bit more that really grabs people's attention. And uh, I mean, that's all we had to say to Walter. We were like, hey, the publisher feels like it needs to be a little more attention grabby. And 
he didn't even respond. He just came back with that and was like, does this work? And we were like, uh, yeah, that's incredible. Holy crap. <laughs> Once again, he want me to note that he actually does know him. Oh, he, um, he knows Walter? <laughs> he knows Walter. That's awesome. Um, I love the times that we, I, I usually, I'm usually the one that goes out and looks for, for, um, guest. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think like at least half the time I tell Greg, Hey Greg, we're going to bring this person on. I'm like, Oh, I know that person. <laughs> oh, or a couple of times at least. Oh, I, I'm actually in that anthology. Like, oh, <laughs> what the heck? That's fun. So, um, that's pretty fun. Yeah. So, some of the times uh, I'm like, like I'm trying to get this person, and I do do it all the work on my own, and then he, I'm like, oh, I could have just asked Greg to do it for me. <laughs> uh, Would have got got the foot in the door. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, because. Sometimes reaching out to some of these artists are like, oh, man, they're not going to want to come on to my podcast. They're not going to want to spend their time early on a Saturday morning talking to me. Right. Uh, they're like, oh, you know, Greg? Yeah, I'm there. <laughs> yeah. You're like, damn it. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, so what can we expect uh, after Descent to Dread? Into more, <laughs> more stuff. Us. Uh, I wish we could be more specific. Uh, <laughs> we, Dalton we... and I are. Uh, go ahead. Oh no no you I, you you've got more to say. Go for it. Okay sure. Uh, I know Dalton and I right now are working on a uh, a talent search contest for Mad Cave. Uh, just as a as a you know why not? Uh, they they're recruiting recruiting talent for a uh, horror anthology, and we're like we've done that sure. Um, but we have a couple of uh, ideas for uh some like ongoing issues uh that we would want to not that we get to be picky now or anything it's like now that we're published uh (laughs) but we have a couple of ideas and and we have uh some publishers that we would really like to work with that we feel like would work well with those ideas uh whether or not we wind up going with uh moving from this into a ongoing like series or if we move straight into the graphic novels that we want to do we have a series of graphic novels that we've been planning for the longest time uh so we can't promise exactly what comes next but if you follow us on at four color fun color with a u uh we will keep you updated and we will certainly have more coming out uh cool Fingers crossed for. We'll make sure to put those links in the in the description of this. Absolutely. Also, as I'm sure Dalton was about to to say, uh, we still come out with our own uh, comics on our website. Uh, they are very DIY. They are not as well polished and uh, and well drawn as the stuff in the anthology. But that's why the stuff in the anthology uh, costs money, and the stuff on our website is so. <laughs> So if you ever want to see our writing with uh, with Dalton's art, uh, come to our website for Color Media. Yeah, Color um, with you. Actually, a lot of the uh, stories that ended up in the anthology started off as little shorts that uh, I drew myself for our con circuit. So a lot of these ideas had their start there. You can kind of see that photo version of the story on our website. So it's it's a lot of fun to kind of like put them up and compare. They're a lot better. The, the the professional is a lot <laughs> did you show them those um, previous work when they were talking to the artist um at the beginning a couple of times yeah at the beginning we 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 tried and um i i mean at least i was like that's not 
that's not fair. I kind of want to see what they do. I don't want them to be like, in, I don't want them to think that we're telling them a way to draw or I don't want them to be influenced by the crappy drawings I did. So I just kind of like we we give them the script and say, hey, uh, we originally did this. If you're curious, we've got them if you want to see them. And, on, and thankfully, most of them were just like, no, I got this. And they did. They totally had it. And it was, it was fantastic. It, it's so much better than the, the crappy books I did. Uh, you don't give yourself enough credit. But uh, yeah, no, we, we, we brought them up as reference occasionally uh, just to be like, hey, this is, you know, like for this weird specific movement, this is what we had in mind if, if, they, weren't, if they weren't entirely sure on something. And we happen to have a visual reference there, but for the most part, it was uh, it was them doing their own thing and kind of taking our script, which, to be fair, is pretty specific. Uh, it's 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 not like they could go absolutely nuts with it. It wasn't a Stan Lee script where it's sort of just vaguely gesturing at what panels would be there. Uh, we write very, I write very panel for panel. Like this is what happens. This is what happens. This is what happens. This is the action in the panel. Uh, and then if someone has a cool idea, like hey, I want to put an insert here of this, or hey this might work better as like a two page splash or something like that, uh, which didn't happen. That's just an example. But like, uh, then we absolutely go with it. That was, that was like the first thing that I told artists uh, once we actually hired them is this is a collaborative process. And if you have an idea for how something should go, let me know. I'm, I'm happy to hear it. Am I forgetting any theme guys? Uh, like, and subscribe. No, um, <laughs> smash, <laughs> smash that, that. Like button. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, we, you can, you can find us on, uh, Twitter mostly. And then our, uh, our website, like I said, for color media, uh, color is with a U, the British spelling. Always. Uh, we, oh, and I, this is entirely separate, but I do uh, write up uh, reviews, comic book reviews at uh, Comic Book Yeti. So if you're interested to see anything like my other project that I do, feel free to top on their website. Well, I want to thank you guys for taking the time on a Saturday morning to talk to me. Absolutely. I'm going to go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Well, yeah, thank like you said, for having thank us. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, I wish Greg would have been able to get on here, but his computer was um, being groggy. He's from the the, the West Coast, so uh-huh. it was actually around seven o'clock for him. <laughs> oh, why would you do that to that poor man? Oh, he wakes up like at five. <laughs> we love you, Greg. He's he's uh, he's used to that that uh, time. Uh, I always like want to do it like at ten or eleven. Like no, 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 no. The seven o'clock is fine. Uh-huh. Uh, he actually runs a store um, with his wife. Well, it's wife's store, but. Um, that's why he has to wake up so early because he wants to make sure to get out to the to the store um, mm. and not be and not miss an episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we are sorry that he couldn't uh, join us. I'm sure that he would have been lovely to talk to, but Saul, I think uh, I think we had plenty of fun with you. Uh, thank you for joining us on our podcast. This is our podcast now. Well, <laughs> do you want to do you want to oh, read no. us off? <laughs> uh, well, thank you guys. And if you guys have anything else coming up, or when you have something else coming up, just let us know. We'll be more than happy to go ahead and have you on right before it comes out so people can get pumped up for it. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you very much for, for joining us. Thank you, Wells. Thank you, Alton, again. And we'll see you guys next time on Nerd from the Crypt. Yeah. Are you a fan of things that go bump in the night? Chills up your spine, paralyzed by fright. Thrill by horror at the center of a chat. Then welcome to the Nerds from the Crypt podcast. Go ahead and